0: the Gospel of John in chapter 15, we've been studying this chapter for some time, and we've come to verse 18, but I want to begin this morning by looking at, just briefly at verse 17, refreshing our memories on what Jesus was saying here, where he says, these things I command you that you love one another. Speaking to the disciples there, command you, love one another. One another. Seems like a. Somewhat of a surprising thing. For the Lord to say to the disciples. Right then. At that moment. Prior to going to the cross. But the fact is. Is that Judas is now gone. There's the 11 disciples that remain. And he's looking at these men. Knowing their hearts. Knowing the propensity of us as believers. To fail in loving one another. And he says to them. I command you love one another. We, as as God's people here this morning, we need to have just an incredible God-given love for one another. Reason being is we've been called by His name. We've been placed together in the body by a sovereign God. He has saved us. He's caused His Holy Spirit to indwell us and to make us new creations in Him. And we are all united in that we're washed by His blood but we need one another. Part of the reason why we need one another is what we find as far as the world in which we live in. In verse 18, he goes from there to explain that to the disciples, where he says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had, done, if I had not done among, the, the, among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and have also hated both me and my father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which was written in their law. They hated me without a cause." Jesus here is, is is preparing the disciples. Preparing them for what is about to follow in their lives. And wasn't he perfectly accurate in these things? He's telling the disciples that he's about ready to depart. Tells them all the blessings that are going to come with, with the Holy Spirit who is given to them and all that he has prepared for them. Tells them to love one another and then he goes from there to say... That the world is going to hate you. They're going to hate you. And The disciples were in fact hated by the world. The disciples went all over the world from Jerusalem to even the uttermost parts of the world proclaiming the gospel. And they were hated. We find that that they died all different kinds of death, whether it being crucified upside down or sawn in two or stoned to death. The disciples suffered just incredible persecution and hate. But so have all the followers since then. Persecution has been a part of the church from the very beginning. And Jesus explains to us this morning why it is that that has happened. He says, if the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. He doesn't want them to be surprised by the hatred of the world and the persecution that would follow. He calls us to be as gentle as doves and trying our hardest to be at peace with all people. But he prepares his disciples for the hatred that we would experience just as he experienced incredible hatred from the world. You picture Christ and what was about ready to come in the next few hours. Isaiah 53, in verse 3, it tells us that he was despised and he was rejected by men. They hated him. Mark 14 tells us that that just within a few hours of Jesus saying these words, that they would spit on Jesus. They'd blindfold him, they'd beat him and say to him over and over again, prophesy, and they'd strike him with the palms of their hands even to the place where the governor knows that they can release one prisoner and they bring the worst of the worst, Barabbas, out. Pilate says to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all reply, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And he says to them, Why, what evil has he done? And it tells us, and they cried out all the more, let him be crucified. Give us Barabbas, let us take him back. The hatred that went towards Jesus. Soldiers casting lots for his clothing. Luke 23 tells us that the people stood looking on and and the rulers with them and they sneered at him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Even as he's hanging on the cross with the crown of thorns upon his head and his hands staked into that cross, his feet staked in that cross, having been beaten brutally, they're still sneering at him and ridiculing him and mocking him and Plucking out his beard and any wicked thing that they could possibly do to him. And Jesus is saying, remember. Remember when they hate you. That that they hated me first. They hated me first. In verse 19 he says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Gives us the answer there. Why does the world hate us? Because you're not of this world anymore. Because our holy God has chosen you out of this world. You're no longer of this world. You have been regenerated. You have been Change The Holy Spirit has come inside you. He's made you a new creation. He's taken away your sins. He's given you His righteousness, the very righteousness of Christ. No longer do we make decisions based upon the world's principles, but we make decisions based upon God's perfect word and what He's revealed to us. That's what governs our decisions. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. They will suffer persecution. For gosh, nearly twenty years, the Lord's given me opportunities to go to countries where there's some of the most severe persecution taking place. Um, spending time with the church in places like South Sudan or North Sudan. In places like Pakistan. I I think of just those two places alone Christians in South Sudan just brutally treated. Millions of people killed over the last few decades. Churches bombed regularly on Sunday mornings. Um, Children attacked. Women attacked. Someone who's a dear friend, little Rebecca kusunoki going into South Sudan and finding her, and she had a, a bullet that had gone through her, her shin, and they had executed her pregnant mom who couldn't run because she was in the midst of labor, hiding there underneath the roots of a tree inside a little river area. Executed the mom. Executed some of her other family members. Told her to run and then just shot her in the back of the leg as she ran. A little girl, a little girl. Seeing her there and, and hearing her story. Thinking of the church in Pakistan where they have to say what religion they are on their identification card. And saying, because it says Christian, we have the lowest of the lowest jobs. We're the, the ones that sweep the streets. We we can't go into normal restaurants. If we eat at a restaurant and they know that we're Christians, they'll take the plates and break them and kick us out of the restaurant. And say no one can ever eat on these plates ever again. What it's like to be a Christian in some of those places? I picture a pastor that I met in Indonesia where he said they attacked they attacked our church. They they broke down the door. They they. They burned it to the ground, and I'm looking at this church that has been burned to the ground. He says, I saw them do it. They didn't know, but I saw them do it. And he goes, I was devastated. I'm watching this mob come and and burn my church. And I look, and it's led by the mayor. While we were there in Indonesia, a youth meeting was taking place, and a bomb was placed in that youth meeting, and shrapnel just killed and wounded several kids in a youth meeting. And you, you, you think of the persecution in places like that, in, in, in Myanmar, what took place there, and guys that were in prison, and, and just proclaiming the gospel in imprisonment. Pastors in Vietnam, pastors in China, all different parts of the world, incredible persecution that takes place. And Jesus telling his people, If you were of the world, the world would love you. they love their own. But you are not of the world. I took you out of the world. I chose you out of the world. I saved you. Therefore, the world hates you. Your identity is now in me. These Christians that Jesus is speaking to in this passage are about ready to go to the uttermost parts of the world and proclaim the gospel. Even as far as Russia going into that area, proclaiming the gospel. A church that would be built up in Russia in which they fall in love with Christ. They hear the gospel. They fall in love with Christ. I read a, an account just recently of a Christian by the name of Dmitry out of Russia. And um, Nick Rifkin writes this 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 account of meeting this, this man. He talks about how in Russia the way that it was, was that he grew up in a Christian home. Parents took him to church. As communism came in and Soviet Union grew and persecution grew, he said that the churches began to become destroyed and Most of the pastors were either imprisoned or killed. They just stopped being churches all around. By the time that he was grown up, he and his family desired to go to church, but the nearest church was a three-day walk away. So he said, we could only go to church maybe a couple times a year. But he said, one day, he said to his wife, you're probably going to think I'm insane, but I have no religious training whatsoever. I'm I'm just concerned that our sons are growing up without learning about Jesus. It may sound like a crazy idea, but what do you think if we just one night a week would gather the boys together so we could read through Bible stories and give them a little training that they're missing since we can't go to real church? And his wife had been praying for this for several years, and she agreed. And, and so they just began to just read from the Bible. And then he would explain the stories that were in the Bible. The kids start to ask, Daddy, can we sing songs too like we sing in real church? And parents said, yeah. So they started singing the worship songs that they had grown up listening to. Eventually, the the people in the small village could hear what was going on. They could hear the singing that was taking place. And people started to say, can we be a part of it too? Can we come? The group grew to like 25 people. And when it grew to 25 people listening to the Bible stories and hearing the singing, the government showed up to the house and Threatened him physically and told him that he started an illegal church. He said, I asked them, how can you say that? I have no religious training. I'm not a pastor. This is not a church building. We're just a group of family and friends gathering together. All we're doing is reading and talking about the Bible, singing and praying and sometimes sharing what money we have to help out a poor neighbor. How can you call this a church? <laughs> We're just gathering together. We're singing, we're reading, we're praying together, we're ministering to each other's needs. Well, the group grew to where it was now about 50 people. the um, Government authorities came again and said that they couldn't do these things and Shortly after that, he got fired from his factory job, and his wife got fired from her teaching job, and the boys were expelled from school. The number grew to 75 people. There wasn't enough room for everybody to sit. People would sit in there shoulder to shoulder or stand shoulder to shoulder. And Demetrius says that one night, they were there at the house, and suddenly the door opened up violently, and... Someone came and and grabbed him by the shirt and began to beat him, threw him against the wall. They said, we've warned you, and we've warned you, and we've warned you. I will not warn you again. If you do not stop this offense, this is the least that is going to happen to you. And there was this old woman, one of the grandmothers, that went and pointed her face at the guy that said that and said, You have laid hands on a man of God and you will not survive. That was said on a Tuesday night. On Thursday night, he died of a heart attack. And so, upon hearing this, everybody became afraid in the area. But there was 150 people that showed up to church the next day. (laughs) Just a radical work of God, what he was doing. The authorities heard about it, and they arrested him. He was taken a 1,000 kilometers away from his wife and his kids. And he was there amongst 1,500 hardened criminals for 17 years in prison. He said that the only thing that would get him through all the torture and everything else, the only thing that would get him through were two things that he would do on a regular basis. He would wake up in the morning as soon as the sun came up and he would stand and raise his hands and sing a song of worship to the Lord. So the other criminals that were there were so angry with what he was doing and waking up and singing that they would throw stuff at him, they would throw human waste at him, they would take their their metal cups and make all kinds of noise and mock him and make fun of him and beat him. But he said it didn't stop him. Every morning for 17 years he would wake up and sing the same worship song. He said the other thing that got him through was he would take a piece of paper whatever paper he could find around the prison and he would take it and he would try to find a pencil or a piece of charcoal and he would write every verse that he could think of. Every Bible story that he could think of, he would take it and just write it right there on the paper. When the paper was totally filled up, he said that he would take it and put it on this wet wall that was up on the, in his cell. His cell, they said it was the size that you could take one step to one side, one step to the other side, and one step either direction, and that was his cell. And every time the soldiers would see that little piece of paper up there on the, the wall, they would take it and they'd read it and they'd beat him. And he would do it every time he found a piece of paper. They finally got to the place where he had found a full sheet of paper with a pencil next to it. And he was so excited, he wrote down everything that he could think of on that paper, front and back. And the authorities at that point took him to execute him. And he said that he was walking to be executed. And as he is walking to be executed, as they're dragging him down the corridor of the prison, he said the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They stood and began to sing the same song that he had sung for 17 years. He said that they raised their hands and sang And he said that it was like the greatest choir in all human history. The soldiers let him go. released their arms. And shortly after that, allowed him to go home. Radical. This particular man that was hearing the story and talking with all of these different people throughout Russia said to these men... You have these stories. They're amazing stories. Why haven't you written them, written them down and, or recorded them? Uh, other followers of Jesus around the world would love to hear your stories and, and what's going on here and how you were persecuted and how God got you through it. And he said that one of the older pastors came and said, Come here, and brought him over and said, You have sons, right? And the man said, Yes. And he said, Tell me. How many times do you wake your sons up before dawn and bring them to the window and have them face the east and look and say, boys, watch carefully. This morning you're going to to see the sun come up in the east. It's going to happen in just a few more minutes. Get ready now, boys. How many times have you done that with your sons? And he chuckled and he said, well, I've never done that with my sons. They think I was crazy. The sun always comes up in the east. It happens every morning. The old man nodded and smiled and didn't understand the point. He, he, He didn't understand the point that the old man was making. Until he said, well, that's why we haven't made books and movies out of the stories that you have been hearing. For us, persec- persecution is like the sun coming up in the east. It happens all the time. It's the way things are. There's nothing unusual or unexpected about it. Persecution for our faith has always been and probably always will be a normal part of life. I'll write it down. It's just a part of life Jesus telling his disciples the world is going to hate you all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution even Stephen right there in the beginning of Acts in Acts chapter 7 proclaims the gospel to the people calls them to repentance. And it tells us that the people, when they heard it, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. And being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him in one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he had fell asleep. They stopped their ears. They gnashed their teeth at him. They ran at him. Why? Because he's proclaiming. The gospel, because he's calling them to repentance. Jesus is saying, if if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also they are going to persecute you. They hate me, Jesus is saying. When they see you, when they hate you, it's not that they're just hating you, they hate me. That is why they're doing this. He told his people over and over again that this was going to happen. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You don't want to be a sheep in the midst of wolves, do you? Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be like a sheep, and there's ravenous wolves. They want to destroy you. But be as wise as serpents, but as harmless as doves. They are going to try to persecute you. I picture this old leathery man that I met in China. <laughs> he was the 78 years old, I believe. And Listening to him tell stories of what it was like in prison. Being there and forced to stand out in the rain. He said, I asked him, what was the food like that they gave you? And he said, I wouldn't feed my pigs the food that they fed me. He talked about the beatings that took place. And all I could think of is I was looking at this old man. I just thought like, how could they do that to you? I mean, you're like 78 years old. You're so frail. Who would beat you? What kind of person would beat you? And Jesus is saying, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. It will happen. God told us that would happen. It's interesting because sometimes we might look and say, well, why doesn't God just wipe out whoever it is that's persecuting his people? The fact is, is is there's a plan. The fact is that God uses persecution for the sake of his glory. The fact is that he used these disciples and sent them all over the world. And they proclaimed the message of the gospel. And they died for the sake of the gospel. These are men that, that stood with Jesus. They saw all the miracles that Jesus had done. They had witnessed his death. They had witnessed his resurrection. They had heard the gospel message through him. And they knew that there was no other way for man to be saved but than to believe That Jesus Christ is God. He became man. He died on the cross for their sins. And rose again on the third day. And that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And they were willing to go wherever they possibly could to proclaim that message. And they were willing to suffer whatever they were to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And people believed the message. I think of in the book of Revelation in chapter 6 where there's these people that are in heaven that have been slain for the word of God and for the testimony for which they held. They're the ones that got killed for their faith, the martyrs. And they cry with a loud voice. John's recording this saying, like, this is what they said. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? How long till you avenge our blood? And it says, then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of them and their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. I read something like that and I just think, there is a number. Until that number is completed, just rest for a little while. Until the number of people that are going to die like you died, die. Until that number is completed, just rest a little while until that happens. And to think of the sovereignty of God that knows exactly who it is who will die for their faith in Christ. And telling them, I'm sending you as sheep in the midst of wolves. You will suffer persecution. If they hated me, they're going to hate you also. And just making it so clear to them, this is going to happen. It will happen. Don't be surprised when this happens. Don't be surprised when you hear about what happened to Peter. Or don't be surprised when you hear about what happened to John. Don't be surprised when you hear about what happened to the different disciples as they have gone to different places. Don't be surprised. I told you before that this was going to happen. But the gospel was going to go forward. He says, all these things they will do to you, verse 21, for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. They're going to do these things to you for my namesake because of me. And they don't know the Father who sent me. In verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, he, he who hates me hates my Father also. They hate him. The reason why is they're doing it for my namesake. They're doing it because of me. They hate me and they hate my father. They hate God the son. They hate God the father. They hate us. And as a result, they hate you. We know in scripture over and over again that God says that they are haters of God. In Romans 1.28, it's talking about the unbeliever and what the unbeliever is like. and He just describes the unbeliever by saying, they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want God in their minds. God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they're whispers, they're backbiters. They're haters of God. They hate me. They hate me. And they're going to hate you. Verse 24, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. They see what Christ has done, and they hate him. They hate the fact that he is holy. They hate the fact that he is without sin. They hate the fact that God is all-knowing, that he can be at all places at all times, that he knows every thought that goes into their mind and the inclination of their heart. He knows them all together. They try to do their own things as far as creating God in their own image and making God the way they want God to be. And they say, well, if we just do these things, if we obey these rules, if we go and do all of these things that we think are necessary to to please this God that we've made in our own image, then we're okay. But Jesus is saying, your righteousness is like filthy rags in my sight. There's nothing that you can do to earn my favor. The only way that you can spend eternity in heaven is by believing that you are a sinner in desperate need of grace and believing that Christ is a Savior who provides that grace. Trusting in Him that He took your sins upon Himself. Trusting in Him that He can give you all of His righteousness. Trusting in Him that... All of our hope and everything is in the accomplished work of Christ upon the cross, not based upon our own good deeds, not based upon whatever good works we think we can muster up. It is all totally and completely based upon a God who is holy, who is perfect, who is full of grace and full of mercy, and who laid down his life for us and said, whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. And people hate that message. They hate it. I mean, you can look around the world and see all that takes place. Christians die all the time for the sake of the gospel. We as Christians are hated because of the gospel, because of Christ, because of the holy God in whom we serve because of what he calls us to. People want to do whatever is right in their own eyes or create God in their own image, create God however they want to create him and not go by what is the God of the Bible like and what is it that he says. But not so with us. Jesus told us, they hated me without a cause. We need to understand this. Not wanting to be those that desire to please the world. Not wanting to be those that don't talk about our God or don't proclaim the gospel message. Not wanting to be those that try to please those that God says are haters of me. But boldly proclaim the gospel. We live in a country in which we have a lot of freedom right now. We have a lot of freedom. When you think of the countries in, around the world. I met with people that are planning on going to North Korea to serve there. And I just thought, like, that is amazing. I know there's believers in North Korea. I know there is. I just, I'm looking forward to seeing the fruit that comes from you being there. All over the world, persecution that takes place, but there is a remnant that is there. There is a church that is there, and they are hated. They are persecuted. But to be in a place, as believers here, thankful for what we have, but knowing that nevertheless we will be hated. Our country was founded by those that were suffering persecution. That's why they came here. The majority of the first settlers to America were Puritan separatists fleeing the constant religious persecution. They came over on the Mayflower in 1620, 102 passengers, and the majority of them were those that wanted to flee persecution. You think of guys like John Cotton, who, who came as a pilgrim to New England in 1633 with his wife and his daughter after being in hiding for over a year. He became pastor in Boston, pastor over the area where the Massachusetts Bay Colony was. Personally invited by Governor John Winthrop, can you please come and pastor this church? We understand that you're in hiding. Please come. He gets on a boat and he comes. At the same time, he comes over with Thomas Hooker, who came both on the same boat, coming. He was in Holland in hiding, Puritan pastor. He later became the pastor of the city of Newtown, which now is Cambridge today. And from there, he founded the state of Connecticut, a pastor, fleeing persecution. Roger Williams, Puritan pastor, fled persecution and came to the New World in 1631. He was the one that became the founder of Rhode Island. William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania, Founded it for him and himself, or for himself and the other Quakers that were fleeing persecution, after being imprisoned on numerous occasions. For us, even as a country, the the, the founding fathers, the First Amendment was dealing with you. How is it that we can protect ourselves from this? Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. First Amendment. Freedom of religion. The ability to sit here this morning to believe. we find these things challenged frequently. We find bakers that are paying $135,000 because they won't bake a same-sex wedding cake. We find hatred that comes towards us in people losing jobs in academia, people losing jobs in the media, people losing jobs in all different areas because they are Christians. Jesus said, they will hate you. You are not of the world. They will hate you. You will be pilgrims yourself here on this earth, and they are going to hate you. I have called you out of the world. I have chosen you out of the world, and they are going to hate you. Be ready, but know they hated me first. I'll close with this this morning. In the book of Hebrews, it's talking about, I'll just read it to you. It's talking about Moses. And it tells us that Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, he chose that. He treasured the reproaches of Christ more than the treasures of Egypt. Willing to accept whatever hatred came his way, For the sake of Christ. May that be us. Do not treasure the things in this world. Treasure Christ and Him crucified. And whatever may come our way, may we have just incredible boldness in proclaiming the gospel. For whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this incredible warning that you give your people. Telling them the things that are going to happen. But to know that you're sovereign over it all, that you said these things were going to happen, that there's a number of people in which you know that will be put to death for the sake of their faith in you. Lord, cause us to be like Dimitri. 1,500 people singing praise songs in a prison. The faithfulness of that man to praise you, to sing praises unto you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us boldness here in America to proclaim the good news when we're not in a prison cell. To recount the scriptures that we know and to read from your holy word since we have the freedom to do so now. May we raise our kids in such a way that if the day ever comes like it did for Dimitri That they would rise up and say, may we teach our boys God's word. We know, Lord, that you work in just miraculous ways. You have a a sovereign plan in all that you're going to do. Thank you that we get to be a part of it. And God, please help us to continue to be a city on a hill. Help us to continue to shine so brightly in this world for the sake of the gospel. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.